we're starting a new series today for a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll do this about three weeks, and then we'll get into our Advent uh, uh, series. But uh, we're just, just wrapping up a series on the Holy Spirit. And, um, and today I just want us to look at uh, taking a stand against the devil. Uh, you know, I know that we live in a society and, and, you know, the world is always trying to tell us, the church, what the devil is like. I mean, they show him as, you know, painted in, you know, kind of uh, red underwear and little pointy tail and pitchfork in his hand. And like Nina said, you know, uh, you know, the one on your shoulder and whispering in your ear. And, um, and, and the way the world paints the picture of the enemy uh, or the devil is to make him innocuous, to, to make him benign, to make him so mild. And, you know, but we know from the Word of God, and I, I hope you know this, by the end of this series you will know, um, that we have a real enemy out there. And uh, this same devil that we face today is the same devil that came against Jesus, the same devil that incited that mob to crucify him on that day. Uh, it's the same devil that tried to put all the children to death during the time of Moses, uh, all the male children. It's the same devil that tried to put all the little children to death in Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth. And, uh, you know, the, he is real. We, we face a real foe, and we need to understand his strategy and his tactics uh, so that we can take a, a solid stand against the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles uh, of the devil. And that word wiles comes from the Greek uh, word methodos or methodeus. And it means it's the same word that we get our English word method from. So that we may understand the method or the strategies or the tactics of the devil. So before we get into this, uh, let me pray. And uh, I want to pray for us uh, this morning that God would give us an ear to hear and an understanding heart of what the Spirit of God wants to share with us today. So Father, we just say, Lord, we welcome you in this place. We say, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would quicken us, make our hearts and our minds active and alive this morning. Lord, I, I, we just uh, plead the blood of Jesus over us this morning and over this place. Lord, that uh, your hand of protection would be here with us today, God, as we discuss these things. God, that we would not be afraid of the enemy. Father, your word says that you've given us power to come to overcome everything that the enemy may bring against us, God. And we know that that power comes through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, once again, we say, fill us with your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, interesting, this word uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Uh, the 40, 45 times in the New Testament, we find the word demon. You don't find it at all. You don't find the word demon at all in the Old Testament, at least in the translation that I was using. 35 times we see uh, Satan mentioned in the New Testament but only 18 times in the Old Testament and not in very many books. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we understand that Satan uh, tempted David to take the census, to number Israel. And what he was doing in that is he was standing in his own strength and not in the power of the strength of the Lord. He looked at his army and kind of said, you know, God, you know, maybe, you know, you should sit this one out. I think I got this one covered. And... Uh, 
You know, sometimes we do that too. We go through life and we think, God, I got it. You know, life is good for me right now, so I'm just going to put God on the back burner for a while. And, and when I have, you know, a tragedy in my life, when I have a blowout in life, then I'll, I'll get God like a spare trunk or a spare tire out of my trunk. Um, but God wants us to seek his face every day. The Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning. I mean, he is there every day for us. The rising of the sun should make us just, you know, just, you know, stir up that worship and praise within us. And we, you know, just make us want to glorify God. But we see, uh, you know, the, uh, Satan mentioned in First Chronicles 21 and Job chapter 1 and 2. We'll talk about that a little more later in the service. And then in Zechariah chapter 3. Um, but what maybe we don't see the word Satan or we don't see the word Satan. Uh, uh, devil used so much in the Old Testament. You know, we talk about, and you hear this word or this phrase a lot, called types and shadows. And we talk about types and shadows in the Old Testament where it's not specifically saying a word, but it represents something that we see that's more clear in the New Testament. And today, I want us to look at a type and a shadow in the Old Testament of, of, the, of the devil or of his army. You know, we understand that Satan has an army that when he was thrown from heaven, the Bible says in Revelation, they took a third of those angels or the fallen angels fell with him. They were thrown out in the rebellion in heaven. And so we see in the Old Testament, in the, uh, the book of Habakkuk, um, this kind of analogy, and I want us to look at it. Uh, and and uh, the, the prophet uses the word talking about this nation called the Chaldeans. Some of your Bibles may say the Babylonians. But let's just pick up and look at this first passage of Scripture. It says, Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your day which you would not believe, though it were told you. This is the same phrase or same passage of Scripture that Paul uses in the book of Acts saying that you know, I'm going to tell you something, and, and, and even though you're hearing it, you're, no, you're not going to believe it. And he was talking about the Messiah coming, the Messiah suffering, the Messiah being crucified, and the Messiah being raised from the dead. And, uh, but Paul, uh, Paul is talking about Jesus in the New Testament, but Habakkuk, in the book of Habakkuk, he's talking about uh, a nation called the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. He says, I am raising up the Chaldeans, and you need to understand this. Let me just, uh, you know, set a good foundation so we're clear this morning that God, that the, the nation of Israel, and we, we start, you can start in the book of uh, Judges, and you'll see this phrase repeated over and over and over again. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God turned them over to their enemies. Okay, so God uses uh, the enemy to bring correction. When they got into this place where they were oppressed or suppressed, uh, the enemy was just, you know, just on them, stealing everything they had, robbing from them, oppressing them, putting them in slavery and in bondage. In that place, they would begin to cry out to God, and God would hear their cry, and that he would send a deliverer to heal them or to break them out of this slavery or out of this bondage. And so that's what's happening here in, in this book. The, the Chaldeans, he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth, listen to this, to possess 
dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, I want to just tell you that this word, the Chaldeans, is synonymous with the devil or with demons today that we would use. It's, they, they, it's the same thing. They have the same strategy, the same strategy that these ancient nations used to bring God's people into slavery and into bondage. The enemy does the same thing to us today, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible, dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves their horses are swifter than leopards. They are more fierce than the evening wolves. Their, their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly like the eagles that hasten to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind, and they gather captives like the sand. Now, I, mean, I want to just tell you, we're talking about the Chaldeans here, but I want to tell you that the demonic forces that we face today are exactly like this. They are coming to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They come for violence. I want to just tell you that Satan never wakes up and says, you know what, now, today I think I'm going to be merciful. He never has a merciful day. He never has a merciful moment. And we'll look at this passage of Scripture right here in verse 10 of chapter uh, 10 of John. It says, the thief, we understand that to be the devil or Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we understand that, that the, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans were thieves the demonic, Satan himself, is a thief. He's come to steal, to rob from you, uh, to, to take from you, know, from you, take your joy, take your happiness. He will attack you in so many different ways. He'll attack you in your body physically. He will attack you in your mind, bring confusion, depression to your mind. Uh, he will attack you in your spirit, cause you to question whether you're saved or you're good enough. You know, all of these attacks come from the enemy. The Bible tells us to hold up that shield of faith that we may ward off those fiery darts of the enemy. And I want to tell you that when you and I are faithful, our obedience does nothing to get us into heaven. But our obedience does do one thing. Our obedience keeps God's hedge of protection around us. Remember what Satan said to, to God about Job? He says, I want to get this man. I, I'm coming after, I want to come after Job. He says, but I can't get to him, God, because you know why? You have placed a head, a hedge of protection around Job. And I can't get through that hedge. I want to. I'm trying desperately to get through that hedge to get to that man, but I can't get to it because you have placed a hedge of protection around him. You know how Job had, why he had a hedge of protection around him? The Bible says that Job was an upright man and there was no one in the land like him that was faithful, that was obedient to God. So when you and I become disobedient to God, and even in little things, we're going to look at that in just a moment, but let me just lay the groundwork here. I want you to understand this. When you and I are disobedient to God, we take away, we, we, we break down, uh, the, the, we create a breach in the wall where the enemy can come through through our disobedience, Okay. I mean, it can be just in the smallest of things, but the Bible says that when we do that, we create a breach and we allow the enemy to come into our lives. We would never say, you would never say, I would never say 
you know, Satan come into my life. We would not say that. But when we are disobedient to the Lord, we open up a hedgeway. We, we open up a little gate there that the enemy can come through. So when we're talking about, you know, what, what Satan does, it says the thief, he's called a thief, does not come except, notice the things that he wants to do. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. But the Bible says that Jesus came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now we understand that when we talk about Satan, we talk about the work of Satan. I've had people say to me that, you know, well, Satan came to me, I had to fight the devil. You know, you, you probably didn't have to fight Satan, okay? Uh, you know, Jesus had to, Jesus, you know, merited Satan himself's presence in the Lord's life. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil, Satan himself, showed up. Uh, but we understand that he has a network. He has an army of these demons, and uh, they work for him. And so many of the times when we're under attack, we're under a demonic attack. I mean, the other thing that we need to understand is that Satan is not. God is omnipresent. He is omniscient. Omnipresent means that God is everywhere. He can be everywhere at the same time. Omniscient is all-knowing that God is like that. Uh, God is also omnipotent, has a, having unlimited power. Satan is not like that. He is not omnipresent. He can't be uh, everywhere at the same time. He can only be one place at once. But with all of these millions and millions of demons that, you know, that uh, are there, that are in this world, we have to deal with them. Listen to what the psalmist says, Psalm 83. It says, do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. And behold your enemies. It's talking about Satan. It's talking about this demonic force that's out there. Your enemies are making a tumult. Uh, and those who hate you, it's again talking about the demonic and Satan himself, uh, those who hate you have lifted up their heads, and they have taken crafty counsel against your people. Now, I know that many times we think that, you know, well, I, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, Satan can't be after me. I want you to know that he is after you. He's not after the lost people in this world. He's already got them, but he wants to come against you. He wants to come against you and make you. I, you know, you, you've heard me say this a thousand times if you've been here a while. Satan's number one goal is to keep you from coming to Jesus Christ. He's, his number one goal is to keep you in darkness and to keep you from being saved. But if you are saved and you have come to Jesus Christ, his second goal is to make you ineffective for the kingdom of God. You understand that? Oh, one person does. Let me ask this group over here. You guys understand that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. I think we do understand that. You know, we understand that the enemy wants to keep us uh, from being effective for the kingdom of God. So he goes on to say, uh, back to Psalm 83, and they have taken crafty counsel, talking about the enemies, the enemies of God have taken crafty counsel against your people and consult together against your sheltered ones. And then in verse 12 of that same chapter, it says that they say, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Let's take possession of God's people. That's what, that's what his desire is. Now let me give you an example of how this works. New Testament example. As Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, behold, there was a woman who had a spirit 
of infirmity for 18 years. This was a, a, a demon that had come to her, uh, a demon of infirmity that had come to this lady for 18 years, and she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her, or he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But when the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to do work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. I, I just can't imagine this guy saying this. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose, loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away, away to water? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from the bond or this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. Now think about it. This is a woman. She's attending the synagogue. She's a believer in God. She's a believer in the Jehovah God. But she has been bound by Satan for 18 years. For 18 years, she's lost 18 years of good life uh, being crippled, being in this painful position for 18 years. The thief has come to rob and to steal and to kill and destroy. And that's exactly what he was doing to this woman. It's exactly what he wants to do to you and I. Notice what the Bible says here uh, about an unclean spirit. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest. He finds none. And then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, notice these three things. He finds it empty, he found, finds it swept, and he finds it put in order. And I'm going to just say to you that, you know, how many times have we seen someone come to the Lord? They come to the Lord, and, and they, they've got cleaned up. Their house is kind of, they get their house in order, but they are still empty. And then he goes, talking about he, when this, uh, this demonic spirit leaves, and he comes back and he finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. They enter and dwell there in that individual, and the last state of that man is worse than the first state. So he finds the place empty, swept, and in order. Many times we'll come to Jesus. Men and women will come to Jesus. They give their life to the Lord. Uh, but their life has not been filled. It's empty. It's still empty. You've got to fill your life with the Word of God. We've got to be filled with the power and the presence of the living God. If you want to stand against the wiles of the devil, if you want to stand firm against the enemy, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it in your own power and in your own strength. Yes, the Bible says that, that Satan is bigger than we are, he's stronger than we are, but he is not stronger than the God that we serve. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's good news for us. You know, I just want to, uh, I, I just want to stop for just a moment, and I want to pray with us because I, you know, I, I just sense that, you know, sometimes I, I don't want you to be afraid. This is not a message to make you afraid. This is a message to make you aware. But if we open up the door to the enemy, whether you've done it intentionally or if you've done it ignorantly, uh, you know, if you didn't mean to, I want us to just stop for a moment and pray and just, you can just repeat this out loud or, or in the quietness or the stillness of your heart. But if you say, Father, I repent of my sin in the name of your son, Jesus, 
I ask that you would forgive me for opening a door to the enemy. And in Jesus' name, I renounce any demonic activity in my life. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to break the enemy's power. Deliver me, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me give you some more examples here. Talking about the Chaldeans. In the third year, remember we talked about how when the children of Israel did wickedness or they did evil in the sight of the Lord, the Lord would turn them over to their enemies. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God. Notice this. Which were carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar goes in to Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, he basically sacks the city, steals, goes into the temple, steals the gold and the silver and all the treasure there, and he brings it back to the house of his God. You know, this was a very common thing during the, the, the Old Testament times. It was, you know, kings from other lands would say, my God is greater than your God, and the way that I'm going to prove this is I'm going to come in and we're going to be victorious. I tell you, you will never find an example of Israel being defeated by their enemy when they were walking in faithfulness and obedience to God. There was no way that God was going to allow that to happen. But when they were disobedient, they, they had failure after failure on the battlefield. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God. He carried them into the land of Shinar. And then the king instructed uh, Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, notice this, with the kind of people they were looking for, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And as the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine that he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. It's talking about the king Nebuchadnezzar. And to them the chief of the eunuchs gave the name Daniel and Hananiah and Shadrach and Meshach. Those are their Babylonian or Chaldean, Chaldean names. Now I want, to show, I want you to notice two things. We talked about uh, Satan being a thief. Notice the two things that he, that he stole. When he went in, the first thing he stole was the treasure, or he stole the tithe, all right? The, the treasure represented the tithe in the temple. He stole the tithe, and he stole the young generation. And I want to just tell you today that the enemy has still got the same strategy. He still has the same tactic. He is still trying to steal the tithe today, and he's still trying to steal this next generation, Okay? Now, the Bible says that in 1 John chapter 2, it is says that, you know, it is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These are the things that we have to deal with. 
this is exactly what was happening here. Um, the Nebuchadnezzar was trying to, what they put in their body, the, the food, the delicacies, the food that they were trying to, he was trying to get them to eat, what they put in their mind, the teachings, the language, the culture of the Chaldeans, and, uh, and the pride, and, and the, the pride of life. You know, I, you know, but you might just wonder how that applies here. You know, if we're not tithing, and I'm going to get to some scriptures on tithing, and this is really not a message about tithing, but I want to just tell you that if you're not tithing, you're opening up a door for the enemy in your life. Because the Bible says, God says in the book of Malachi, I'll read it to you in just a moment, that God says that you have stolen from me. You, you, you have been a thief to me in this area because you've stolen. And if we don't tithe, if we don't think that we have to tithe, we are, we are arrogant. If we don't think that we need to believe or, or obey the word of God, we're absolutely arrogant and we've opened the door uh, uh, of pride in our life. In Malachi chapter 3, it says, Will a man rob from a God? Will a man steal from God? But God goes on to say, Yet you have robbed me. But you say, And how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse because you have robbed me. And... Uh, Again, you know, this is not a message to condemn you or argue about tithing. I'm just simply saying that when God says you're stealing from him, you've opened the door. You're just like, the Bible says, what did he say? That the, in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief has come to steal. The thief has come to steal. Remember what it said about Judas Iscariot? That, you know, he was a thief. You know, we talked about, you know, it says that he wasn't concerned. He brought up this whole issue about the woman and, 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 the, and the perfume. And he says, why couldn't this have been sold and the money given to the poor? And, uh, you know, the scripture goes on to say he didn't care about the poor. It, it says that he was a thief and that he carried the money bag and he would help himself to the money out of the money bag. And so when we steal from God, we align ourselves with the devil. We've opened the door for the enemy to come into our lives. And, uh, you know, we've broken that hedge of protection about us. And we've given the enemy a foothold or an opportunity. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold in your life. And this is what we do when we're disobedient to the Lord. And we can do this in so many ways, God. We can, you know, we, through our unforgiveness, through bitterness, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, becoming angry, just like the scripture says right here, letting the sun go down on our anger. We've opened the door for the enemy to come in. And again, he will not be satisfied. He has no mercy. He will not be satisfied until he brings every form of destruction that he can into our lives. Now, notice that he says uh, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Robert Morris in this series, uh, he says that demons are like squatters. He says that they start on the back of your property, and then they move to your attic, and then they move to the bedroom that you don't use, and then they try to, you know, keep the door closed so that you, you don't want anyone else to see what, you know, these areas of your life, and their attempt is to take over the entire house. And again, I would just say, if you would, just in the stillness of your heart, let's just pray for just a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to forgive us our sins. We repent of our sins, Lord. And Lord, if we've opened a door for the enemy in our lives, we ask you, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, he's, a, he's mighty to save, he's mighty to deliver. We say, Lord Jesus, deliver me. Forgive me for opening the door to the enemy in my life and break down and tear out any demonic forces in my life, in Jesus' name. Not only are they thieves, but 
they, we, we read from the scripture that they're vicious. Uh, back to Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5, it says that they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than the leopards. They're more fierce than the evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagles that hasten to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like the sand. Now, I just want to just focus on one point there. I mean, there, he uses so many different analogies there, but he says they're more fierce than the evening wolves. Notice what Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 3 says. Her princes in the midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. What this says is that they feed at night. And I want to just tell you that probably those of you that have come under demonic attacks, your greatest time, or the, 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 probably the greatest time of attack for you is in the middle of the night. You'll wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep. And I want to just tell you that you're under attack, you're, you're worried, you're fearful, uh, you're afraid, you're concerned, uh, you're having thoughts that normally you wouldn't have. And... Uh, you know, this is, this is like the evening wolf attacking you. It's, it's there. And if you don't get up and if you don't begin to pray or get into the Word or begin to worship, you'll say something or do something or start thinking something that you normally wouldn't do during the day. Uh, and, and again, you know, just, you know, when you come under this kind of attack, you know, there's only one place to run, and that's to the shepherd. I mean, the shepherd of the sheep. You know, we, we read in Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, um, I shall not want. And he goes on to say that his rod and his staff are to comfort me. I want to, I want to tell you that the shepherd's rod and the staff is not to beat the sheep with. God is not in the business of, of beating the sheep up. But his business is to drive away. He will take that rod. He will take that staff. And he will beat the wolf. Or he will beat the lion. Or he will beat the bear. Or those beasts that want to come against you. He will defend you. He will rise up when you call upon him. You know, the Bible says that let us draw near to God. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let us, he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. All you have to simply do is just say, Jesus, I need you. Help, Lord. Help right now, Lord. Help me. Anybody ever say that? All right. You can wake up the whole neighborhood saying stuff like that in the middle of the night, especially your wife. All right, let me give you another example of Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, to the shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this. Paul's saying, I'm getting ready to leave. But he says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, you, you think that when he left that the uh, church at Ephesus said, look, man, now what did Paul say? He said, wolves are coming in. we got to go get wolf traps. You know, I mean, wolves are coming in. Paul warned us about wolves. He wasn't talking about wolves. He's talking about these demonic spirits are going to come in. They're going to infiltrate the church. They're going to come in, and they're going to try to attack you. They're going to try to give, get to you. He says, I know that when my, after my departure, you know, they're going to come in. And if you've ever watched any of these nature shows like the Discovery Channel, you know, I mean, wolves, are, they're a beautiful animal. And, but there's, they're, they're, they're very cunning and they're very crafty. 
And uh, when they seem to be at most at peace and the most gentle, when they're just kind of out in the field, I want you to know what they're doing. You know, they may look peaceful, but they are sizing you up, okay? I mean, they're just looking for that moment. They are looking for that moment to pounce upon the prey. And they're looking for those that are isolated and those that are at the edge of the flock and, and those that are, you know, just like on, on the fringe, on the, on the outskirt. I, I want you to know that, you know, the best place that you can be when you were under attack is right in the middle. You got to get just like, you know, not at the edge of the flock. I, I'm getting in here. I'm going to get right in here. I'm going to get right in the middle. We'll forget those guys on the edge over there. <laughs> but I want to be in the middle of the flock so the wolf can't get to me. Amen? All right. All right. So uh, we read also, number three, that they're cunning. Uh, the Chaldeans, uh, you know, the Chaldean, uh, the name we talked about it being synonymous with the demonic or demons, but it's also synonymous with magicians and astrologers and sorcerers. Let me give you an example of that from the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, it says, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. You guys remember this dream? His spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And then the king gave the command to the magician to the magicians, to the astrologers, to the sorcerers, and to the Chaldeans to tell the king the dream. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now, you guys know the story? He wouldn't tell them what the dream was, but he wanted them to give him the interpretation. And they kept, you know, hammering away. You know, you tell us what the dream is, we'll tell you what the interpretation is. And uh, the king just kept saying, I know that you're just trying to buy time. He says, but, you know, if you tell me what the dream is and the interpretation, I will know that, you know, you've heard from God. And so um, notice who's in this group, magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Well, none of them, if you know that story, none of them were able to tell the king the dream. The king sends out the order to put all of them to death including the children of Israel that had just come in. That would have been Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, Daniel gets word Daniel uh, of, the, of the king's decision to put everybody to death. And Daniel tells the captain of the eunuchs, he said, go back and tell the king, give me just you know, a little time. I believe that God will show me the interpretation of the dream. He prays to God. God shows him the exact dream and the interpretation, saves the life of the magicians, the sorcerers, the astrologers, and the Chaldeans. But I want you to think about this for a second. Magicians. Magicians, they distract you so they can deceive you. All right? This is all part of the enemy strategy. It's all part of the counsel and strategy of this demonic host or forces that we fight. A magician will distract you so that he can deceive you. A, a sorcerer will deceive you by spirits, spirits that can tell the future. You remember that when Saul so desperately wanted to know the future, he wanted to know what was going to happen in battle. He goes to the witch at Endor, and she sees this, or he sees this vision of Samuel the prophet, and, uh, you know, he wanted to know what was going to happen in battle. 
So sorcerers will deceive you by spirits, and astrologers will try to determine your future by the strong, by the stars. And I want you to know that that's wrong. If you know, if you've ever dabbled in in, in astrology or the or horoscopes or things like that, you know, honestly, folks, you know, only Jesus can tell your future. Only God knows what your future is, and He can determine your future and direct your future. So. You know, if, if you've opened the door in any of these areas in your life, you just simply say, you know, Lord, I want to close that door today. I'm asking you, Father, to forgive me where I've opened a door for the enemy to come into my life, and I want to close that door. God, please be in charge of my life. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk, he says, You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And what that simply is saying is that, you know, that these Chaldeans, like the demonic forces that we deal with today, they are looking for the right bait, the right bait for you. What, what kind of bait is it going to take to catch you. That's what they're looking for. You know, they're, they're like we talked about the evening wolf. They're, they're watching. They're, you know, they're, they're studying you, watching your every move. I mean, what other mastermind could have, you know, King David up on the balcony of his roof, you know, do, taking this walk and at the exact time have this beautiful woman come down, strip down, get naked before him and take a bath? I mean, what mastermind could do that? They knew. The enemy knew at exactly what time David was walking on the roof. He did this every day. He'd go out and take this walk on the balcony. And then all of a sudden, here comes this beautiful woman out before him. They studied him. They knew his, they, they, they knew his strategies. They knew what he would do. They knew his method. Um, you know, I used to say that if anybody ever wanted to kill me, this is when we lived at, uh, or we uh, worshipped on Cordova, I said, if anybody ever wanted to kill me, they could do it every day at 8 o'clock at Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, that's just my, that was my pattern. I was there every morning, you know. Um, but so the enemy is studying you. He, he's looking at you. He's watching you, looking for your every weakness. What is that weak point? You know, he did, he did to Jesus exactly the same thing. After Jesus fasted for 40 days, 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, you know, the devil says, you know what? He's hungry. He's hungry. How about, let's just put some bread out here. How, I, Jesus, look, you know, you could take that stone. You could turn it into bread. Let's just get some bread. Of course, Jesus didn't take the bait. And you and I need to take a lesson from that page. Don't take the bait. No matter how innocuous it may seem. No matter how benign it may seem. No matter how, you know, uh, mild it may seem. Nothing from the enemy is good. Ephesians 4.26 again. Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't open the door to the enemy in any area of your life. I want to just pray again. Guys, I just want to tell you, this is just so, this is so serious. Not to open a door for the enemy. And if the Holy Spirit has revealed to you this morning that you've opened up a door 
If there's something that you've done that you know that's wrong, and maybe you're, you're still in that place today, it could be in the occult, it could be through the horoscopes, it could be through just superstitious things, it could be some bondage that you have that you think it's not that bad. And that's what the enemy would whisper to you. It's not that bad. And when we've opened the door for the enemy, the Bible says that the enemy can come in like a flood. Like a flood. It's just like once that breach is made, then those floodwaters continue to come in. But that same scripture says that when the enemy does come in like a flood, that God will raise up a standard against the enemy.